The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. How do, how do you feel about that personally? If you're really honest, somebody comes to you with a need, how do you respond to needy people, right? Uh, just this past week, uh, somebody, one of our foreign volunteers came, came up at one of our foundation meetings and he was clearly distraught, right? And he kind of accosts me and says, Tim, I, I, need, you, I need your help. I've got to talk to you right now. Of course, there were 15 things going on at, the, at that time. Uh, but, <clears throat> okay, so I said, so okay, what do you need? And this person had... <clears throat> Uh, had befriended this Eastern European couple, uh, and uh, as he got to know them, they were tourists here in Chiang Mai, as he got to know them, uh, it was quite evident that the husband was beating up the wife. And this guy bravely, maybe braver than I would, stepped in between the two of them and basically threatened the husband, if you want to fight, fight me. Um, quit beating up your wife, and he asked the wife if she wanted to get out, and she said yes, yeah. so he did a very heroic thing and rescued this poor woman and her two small, I would say, children, two and under, two of them. And um, it, was, it was cool, right? It was good, right? So where do I come into the picture? Well, so a day later, he's got this Eastern European woman and her two small children. And now that she's not living with her husband, he ha- she has no money, not, not a bot to her name. And on top of that, her tourist visa expired that day. And this guy has no resources to help her either. So he comes to me. Help! Do something! Right? Um, how do you respond to those kind of things? Well, my response is, you know, well, stop, be, stop making friends with people like this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's easy. Just, you know, stop that. And if you do, don't bring him to me, right? Drags this lady. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you can't really respond that way. Um, we're supposed to help, right? Ministry is helping people. Um, and, and while, you know, you may, you may be able to say, well, you know, crazy foreign tourists are not my ministry. I'm, I am going to avoid those people. But the reality is in your ministries, uh, if you're helping, if you're engaged, if you're ministering to people at any level, you will have people come to you with needs. So another part of our ministry that we're very engaged with is doing church planting in Isan and uh, helping people there and Every time I go there, our, our Thai pastor partner, Pastor Wienai there, he, you know, he talks to me about he's got people lined up who want to do ministry, who want to serve God, who want to help with church planting, but uh, they don't have a means to support themselves. And right now there's a couple that don't have a penny to their name, poor Thai people living in Isan, and they want to do church planting. And he says, how do we get these people out in the village where they can live and they can be sharing Christ? And, you know, it's not an option there to say, well, stop asking them, right? Because that's what we want to do. We want to be mobilizing people for ministry. Uh, And it would be easy to say, well, they just need to go get a job. But in that part of the country, there just are not jobs. So how do you help? What do you do? How do you respond? Um, My my observation is that most of us respond one of two ways. And this is stereotyping, which none of us are the stereotype, I'm sure. But... um, one of two ways we would typically respond to needs that confront us. Some of us are by nature 
and by just the way we are wired. We are rescuers, right? We love this kind of thing. And uh, it, it just fires us up when people come to us with needs because we're going to rescue everybody. In fact, even if people don't need our help, we're going to rescue them, right? We're going we're gonna to make sure that we're taking care of everybody, and we're very motivated to help and to jump in uh, wherever there's a need, right? Others of us maybe uh, respond with much more of a rational, reasonable approach, and we would be more logical, and we would say things like, well, it's not my problem. They made bad choices, right? And uh, they got themselves into that mess. Why should I be getting them out? In fact, uh, we would say, you know, the logical thing is that if you help people too much, you're just enabling them, and you're actually not fixing their problems. You're keeping them stuck where they are. So we need to not help them. Uh, we help them by kind of giving them the boot and make them figure it out on their own because uh, we don't want to make them dependent on us. Well, you may be some mix of those, but the reality is ministry is helping people and being confronted often with needs. Uh, and Jesus is aware of that. So in his school of ministry, as he teaches the disciples, he, uh, he gives them a great object lesson here on how Jesus envisions us meeting people's needs and how he envisions us helping people in the midst of their struggles and their hardships and their uh, their problems in life. So let's look what Jesus does in the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the, the passage begins uh, in some ways summarizing how it really is Jesus' ministry to meet needs. In fact, if you look through the Gospels uh, and you look at all the activity that Jesus is involved in and all the stuff he does, you could summarize a good chunk of it, if not a majority of it, as meeting people's needs. Notice what it says. It says, when, um, you know, uh, Jesus tries to get away. Um, verse 10, um, they told everything he had done, and, and Jesus tries to slip away quietly with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. And he welcomed them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Uh, first off, Jesus is very aware of the needs of his disciples. Uh, and he knows that they need rest. They've just been on this intensive ministry campaign. He sent them out uh, where they traveled all over, and they've been super uh, busy doing ministry. And the first thing he acknowledges is that they need rest. Uh, and Jesus was pretty driven. <laughs> I mean, he, Jesus didn't loaf around a lot. He didn't, um, you know, he didn't spend a lot of time at the condo on the beach just chilling, right? Uh, at least that's not what gets recorded in, in the Gospels. It, it seems that he is quite in demand, and everywhere he goes, the crowds are pressing in on him, and Jesus is, is going. He is ministering. He is serving. He is working. But he also knows the crucial and vital importance of rest. And so when the guys come back from this intense time of ministry, Jesus doesn't push on. He takes them aside in a way to a remote, secluded place to rest, to relax, to chill, to refresh and renew, so that he can refill their tanks and teach them and refit them for better and more effective ministry. So Jesus uh, understands that need, and he, he provides it, or he seeks to provide it. And actually, after the feeding of the 5,000, it's apparent that they finally do get some rest. So Jesus identifies and meets that need, um, or tries. But in, as he goes and as they get out there, the crowd learns where they're headed and actually gets there before they do. And uh, as it turns out, they're not able to get the rest that they want, 
But I love Jesus' answer. It says when the crowds learned it, they, 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 they followed him. And Jesus does what? Now, now picture this. Intense time of ministry, Jesus knows he's tired. His disciples are tired. Jesus is looking forward to, you know, maybe a nap, a nice leisurely lunch, hanging out with the disciples, nice game of cricket, I don't know, something relaxing. Uh, and he, he comes to where he's headed, and there's thousands of people there waiting for him. Um, now, I don't know about you, but for me, that would be like get back in the boat and, you know, sail to the other side kind of moment, right? It says Jesus welcomes them. He re- literally, it says he receives them. Right? He embraces them. And uh, the other gospels say he, he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd, right? And, and it says that he begins right away speaking to them about the kingdom of God and healing the sick. So Jesus recognizes the needs of the crowd, and he knows where they're coming from. He knows that they are people hungry and they're not being fed, that their spiritual leaders in Israel are not teaching them. And they're hungry for the word. They're hungry for truth. And, and uh, they bring the sick and the, the demon possessed, and he heals them. He makes them holy, ministers to them. Uh, Jesus uh, clearly makes ministry and ministering to people's needs a priority even when he perhaps would rather stop and rest. And then, of course, as the story unfolds, they do this all day, full day of teaching, full day of healing, and the sun's starting to set, and the disciples are starting to get hungry, and they're realizing, you know, they haven't eaten, and uh, there's 5,000 people here, and they're a long ways from McDonald's, right? long ways from a market, a long ways from a food supply. And so... Uh, the disciples actually identified the need that they need to eat. They need dinner, right? And as we know the story, Jesus also provides for that need. Uh, Jesus is not concerned only about the, the huge spiritual needs of forgiveness and sin that are causing brokenness in their life. He's also very interested and concerned in basic everyday needs, like food. Uh, Jesus is concerned about that need, and, and he meets that need. Um, he does not rebuke the disciples. You know, the, Jesus, the disciples don't come to Jesus and say, man, you know, it's supper time. What are we going to do? And Jesus doesn't say, I rebuke you in the name of God for being, you know, so concerned about your, your stomach, you know. You guys are just always thinking about food. Praise God. Jesus does not do that, right? Um, Praise God, after church today, we'll all go eat lunch. Amen? You're hoping it goes faster so you can get to lunch sooner. Right? And God does not begrudge that. He created us that way. It is how God made us. He made us as people who have needs and as people who need to eat seven square meals a day. It's how he made us, right? So he is not insensitive to that need, and he meets those needs. He cares for those needs, right? So, um, first significant point we need to make here is that ministering to people's needs is what ministry is, right? If we want to love God and serve people and honor Him, we should be people who are uh, about meeting people's needs. And as, as, as I said, all around us uh, are needs, all kinds, physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, uh, needs for food, needs for sustenance, need for spiritual healing. Okay, those are all legitimate. And it's 
real as part of what it means to be human. And as ministers of the gospel, we should be serious about taking care of people. In fact, I love in, in Matthew 14, 14, uh, Matthew's account of this story. Uh, it says, when Jesus um, saw the huge crowd as he stepped out of the boat, he had compassion on them. Right? Uh, if you love as God loves, and if you have his heart of compassion, you cannot help but see needs around you and be concerned about them. So my friend who's dragging around these crazy Russian tourists, you know, um, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. I wish you would take him to somebody else, not me, but it's still a good thing. It's what we should be doing. It's what we should be about. Um, how are we doing at that? You know, if you were to be honest with yourself, uh, are, is meeting people's needs a priority in your life? Uh, are you sensitive and aware to the needs around you, in your family, with your coworkers, at the place where you work, with your neighbors, with Thai people on the street? Are we tuned in to seeing those needs around us? And do we have a genuine burden motivated by God's compassion to do something about it? Right? Or do we say, well, it's not my problem, you know, it's not my ministry, it's not what I'm here for, right? Uh, I think Jesus would not respond that way, right? Jesus was always welcoming the needs that were presented before him. Right? Uh, now, he may not have gone off looking for <laughs> trouble, uh, but all the needs, all the needy people that came to him, he uh, welcomed, he received, he minister to them. Uh, are we of a mindset to do that? Second point, second thing. It um, says, as the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding village to find food and lodging, uh, for we're in this desolate place. But, but Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Uh, you feed them. Um, that we, help, that we must help is a fundamental principle of ministry. But a, a more significant question is, how do we help people? How are we supposed to be administering uh, help that meets needs in a tangible way? And this is a really important question. And for many of you who, have, who do this here, who it's a significant part of your ministry, I know you wrestle with this question. Um, and it's interesting, the disciples have... Basically, two ways to deal with the problem, right? They know the crowd's hungry, and so the disciples have two plans. And these plans are brilliant, and I don't know that they philosophically thought all this out, but uh, I'm, I'm going to add a lot of meaning, meaning to what they do here, because I like to do that. Um, and it really does represent two huge ways of dealing with problems that are very common in the world today. In fact, I would say very typical of how most help is given whether it's in a Christian context or a secular context. This is how help tends to be given. So the first one is what I would call the self-help approach. Right? Their, first, their first solution to the problem is what? Everybody's hungry. What do we need to do? Well, we need to get rid of them. Right? We need to direct them to a nearby restaurant or lodging where they can, on their own, with their own resources and in their own capacity and ability, meet their own need. Right? Sending them away to buy their own food. Right? It's not my problem. And we just need to, you know, direct them to and help them solve their own problem. Um, 
this, this, uh, this is this, what I would call a self-help approach, or in modern missions lingo terms, this is all about sustainability, right? This is the sustainability model, right? right? Because we need to help people help themselves, because that's biblical, right? The Bible says God helps those who help themselves, so we need to do the same. <laughs> no? Well, you guys actually read the Bible. That's amazing. Um, that's not in the Bible, is it? That is not Scripture, right? But it's, an, it's interesting how that has become a model for ministry that is being advocated and pushed all over the place. And there's some reasons for that, and, and some of those reasons are not all bad. Uh, and, and the reason kind of goes like this. A lot, and, and here's the thing. Every person I've ever talked to about sustainability is a missions pastor of a Western church, right? And this is how it works for them. They get dozens, maybe hundreds of requests from mission organizations and missionaries, people like you, who go to them and want money, right? And they're so overwhelmed. And I, I had a missions pastor actually just say this right out to me. He says, I'm so overwhelmed with all of this that I can't meet all these needs. And so what I've decided is the only way to help people is to help them help themselves through sustainability. Right? Um, and um, what, what I, what oftentimes what, that, what, I, what I would interpret that is, is it's not my problem, and now I have a good quasi-biblical excuse to say no and reject you. Right? Because we have our own building projects. We're you know, remodeling our lobby. We don't have time to take care of the poor people in Asia. Right? Uh, you can start throwing things at me. I'll duck, okay? Um, we call that sustainability. Right? We call that helping people by helping themselves. Right? And it's oftentimes an excuse to say, I don't have to do anything. Right? I'll teach a class. I'll, I'll send somebody a book on how they can generate their own income and take care of themselves because that's what we need, right? I take care of myself. They should take care of themselves. And good ministry follows that model. Right? And I hear this all the time, and there's books about it, and there's seminars on it, and, there's, uh, and, and, and some of it sounds good. And some of it is, in, honest, in, in all honesty, is a reaction against people who are overboard rescuing personalities, right, who, who really are enablers and who really are doing way too much to help in a wrong way, right? And so some people have seen that extreme of, uh, you know, rescuing too much, uh, enabling, helping in ways that foster very unhealthy dependence on, on the West or on us, right, which is, we'll talk about that in a minute. And so they react against that by saying, no, we should not be enabling them. We should not just be giving them stuff. Uh, we, need to, we, need, we, need to, we need sustainability, right? Um, well, here's the, here's the problem at, at its root core, I believe, with this approach. And, and in this story, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, let's do that. Get rid of these people. Go fend for yourself. Jesus doesn't do that, right? And, and he... Uh, I really believe this is a discipleship training phase. He's teaching his disciples how to do ministry. And it would have been a critical time for him to model, and it is a critical time for him to model how he wants them to treat and deal with problems. Right? So if Jesus wanted this to be the model, he could have said, yeah, absolutely right. You don't have money to buy your own food. Tough cookies for you. Just get rid of those people. Right? Jesus does not do that. He does not do that. And here's the problem with this self-help approach. It is at its root 
uh, and at its core, rooted in humanism. Right? And humanism is the philosophy or notion or belief that people can and should be the solution to all their own problems. That God created man as basically good, or if you're a real hardcore humanist, you believe you know, man has evolved into something that is inherently good, and we have the capacity and will and goodness and, and ability to solve all our own problems. And man is ultimately his, his own answer to his own problems. And so we, we're doing people a favor by helping them reach their full potential by solving all their own problems. And that that's a, a value, right? Well, it may be a value, but that is not a biblical value. There's nowhere in Scripture that teaches that we are to be the solution to our own problems. Right? Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. Um, in fact, the Bible would teach quite the opposite, that we are sinful, fallen, broken people who are, in the end, unable to solve our own needs. Right? Uh, our solutions only create more problems because our solutions are ultimately sinful uh, and God is not a humanist. Okay? He's for people. He's not for humanism. Right? Uh, so Jesus rejects this, this solution. And, and the truth is, Jesus never sent the blind or lame or sick away to cure themselves. Right? He doesn't say to the blind guy, well, go find an eye doctor. Don't ask me. Right? Uh, he never says to the person seeking, to the, to the sinner seeking forgiveness, he never sends them away to solve their sin problem. Right? So why would Jesus send away the hungry to, to solve this problem on their own? It's not how Jesus operates. Um, and clearly the principles we'll see is that Jesus wants to be the supply of every need. Right? We'll get there in a minute. Second approach. Okay, so Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. He says, you feed them, right? You feed them. So the disciples take that uh, in their limited human understanding, as, as most of us do, and they go to another extreme, and this is what I would call the, the social welfare model or the social welfare approach. And they say, oh, so you want us to take our five loaves and two fish and then go grocery shopping and buy food for everybody and, and give to them. That's their other solution. They said, well, we either send them away to buy their own food or we provide all the food for them. So, so they're asking Jesus, is that what you want us to do? You want us to go out and buy food and go to the markets and spend a ton of money to feed 5,000 people? I can just see the order at McDonald's. Yeah, I'd like 5,000 Big Macs, 5,000 orders of fries, right? Um, that's their solution. Uh, in, in, again, in modern lingo, uh, you know, if they can't fix their own problems, then we, then we must fix it for them through some kind of social welfare program, right? And in this case, society or the community becomes the solution to the problem. Uh, we raise funds, we ask, we get grants, we seek government funding, we send out, you know, letters to all our churches and mission organizations to send more money so that we can buy all that's needed to provision to provide for those in need. Right? And in my thinking, it seems like those really are the only two options. Uh, it's, it would be the very opposite of sustainability. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just giving people what they need. You see, you see a need and people come and you find the financial resources to meet every need that comes before you. Um, 
in some ways this is easier because it's direct, you know. Uh, people are hungry, you feed them. Uh, people need counseling, you counsel them. People need teaching, you teach them. You just, you just meet that need directly. Uh, in some ways it's easy. Um, but Jesus rejects this plan as well. He says, no, not what I said, not what I'm going to do. Right? And the, the, the problem with this view is, is the same as really the first one. At, at its root, it is also humanism. Right? Only instead of the individual being the solution to the problem, now collectively humanity as a, as a society takes care of the problem. Right? So in, in, in other words, we as, as people are still the solution. It's just that we do it now collectively. What one person can't do individually, you know, it takes a village. It's basically it, right? It takes a village. The village is the solution. Social welfare programs are the solution. We can fix the world and and take care of everybody. If we all just band together and, you know, um, society can meet the need. Now, I'm not saying society doesn't have responsibility, and I don't think Jesus is also saying that individuals don't have responsibility. Right? I think both are true, but they're not ultimately true. Jesus wants to teach them that there is something they're missing. There is another option that they have not considered or thought about. Um, in the end, both of these solutions are man-centered, and that's why Jesus rejects them. We are not creator God even though we often want to be and act like him. Okay, we are not sovereign. We are not the source of life. We cannot give breath and life to anybody. We cannot make any blade of grass grow. So how do we think we could be the source and supply of life? But that's exactly what we try to do when we meet people's needs through these two mechanisms. They are man-centered, and they, they put us in the place of God. Uh, and, and God did not ever intend for society or the individual be, to be the ultimate uh, sustainer of life, to be the ones who ultimately meet every need. Jesus has a different plan. And, of course, uh, the, the obvious and simple answer is that probably most of us get, even though the disciples didn't, is that what Jesus wants them to understand is that he is the answer, that Christ is the solution, not man, right? That he is the answer. And what Jesus was hoping they would do, he says this, he says, you feed them, and he was hoping the disciples would say, oh, right, I get it. We can't go buy the groceries. We don't have enough resources on hand, but we have you, and we can come to you, and we can meet their need through Christ. Right? But they missed that. That's not the answer they gave. Right? So Jesus has to give them an object lesson and illustrate for them what this looks like. So he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and, he had them all, and they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and he gave to them, uh, to the disciples, to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Um, and to get some of the Old Testament background behind what's going on here, the Jews would have understood that throughout the Old Testament, God was sustainer and provider. He was Jehovah Jireh. 
He was the one who would meet their every need. And uh, Old Testament theology was clear on this. Uh, They did not look to social order or to the individual as the one who would take care of them. They understood theologically that that was God's job as creator. So you see that illustrated in things like the provision of manna in the wilderness. God gave them bread to eat and sustained Israel as they traveled through the whole wilderness journey for 40 years on the bread from heaven. Um, it's pictured beautifully in the, in the Psalm of David. Uh, we all know this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Right? It's a picture of a God who sustains and provides for his sheep. Uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That's a picture of God as sustainer who provides for life. Uh, The promised land itself was a great picture of this. Unlike Egypt, the promised land, uh, Israel, Canaan, uh, was not uh, had no irrigation, right? So um, God's and God called them there f- to that place for a reason, uh, because God controlled the water tap. Right? He had the on-off switch for the sprinkler system, and the way it worked there, if it rained, life was good. If it didn't rain, life was seriously bad, right? And so God was seen as the one who sustained them. He sent the rain and he blessed them with good crops or he withheld it and held back his goodness. And the the Israelites came to understand clearly that God was sustainer and provider. So Jesus comes on the scene. And in this miracle, Jesus, uh, not through his words, not through his personal claim, but by this action, he says to the world, I am God. Right? I am now doing what the God of the Old Testament did through the whole Old Testament. I am the sustainer and provider of your every need. And he does it in a pretty impressive way. Five little uh, loaves, two fish, feeds 5,000 plus people. Not bad. Right? Not bad. He is able because he is the source of everything. And it is easy for him to provide for the physical needs of unlimited numbers of people. It could have been 5,000. It could have been 50,000. Jesus is claiming here through this action, I am the God who provides. I am that Jehovah Jireh. I am the Messiah, the king who sets before you a feast at my table. Um, So Jesus is is the provider. He's the one who sustains. But he does this through his disciples, right? Uh, He doesn't just rain bread down from heaven, which he could have done. Instead, he provides it through his disciples. Uh, He does not let them off the hook. And he's serious when he says to them, you feed them. Jesus has the expectation that they as his disciples will be the ones who are providing. But they provide it through Christ. So they become table waiters. They become servers, right, who sit the the crew down and they, they serve the tables, right? A lot of serving, a lot of food, right, for 12 of them, 5,000 people. Uh, That's their job, right? 
So they, in, in a very real sense, are meeting the need, but they're meeting it through Christ. And of course, as we know, when, the, when all is said and done, there's this you know, 12 baskets of leftovers. Uh, the point being that Jesus provides and sustains abundantly. Right? It's not like they had to ration out the food. It says everybody ate until they were full. They were satisfied. They ate all they could eat. And then there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Okay, Jesus supplies as the source of all things with generous abundance. Um, so how do we, so, so if we're to apply this, um, what does this mean for us as we do ministry? Let me draw just a few conclusions as we wrap it up. How do we help people? Uh, first of all, I think there's a principle in this that we need to be f- caring for people first by taking care of ourselves. Right? Uh, we can never give to others what we don't ourselves have possession of. Right? And the first mistake the disciples made here is that they didn't trust Jesus to meet their own needs. Right? They weren't going to Jesus uh, and being really sustained by him. They didn't get that yet, that he could do that for them. Um, we need to be people who are trusting Christ with every need in our life. Um, are you doing that? Do you believe that Jesus wants to be the, the source and provider of absolutely every need in your life? Now, of course, Jesus will supply those needs through many resources and many means. Okay? He's not going to cause a money tree to sprout in your front yard, most likely. Uh, or he's not going to bring to you, a, you know, the goose that lays the golden egg. Right? He's, gonna, he's probably going to meet those needs through people. But do we look as, at him as the ultimate source and supply of those needs? Or are we looking uh, as, as, as the disciples of kind of self-help sustainability model? How can I take care of myself? How can I meet my own needs? How can I, you know, be independent? Because right? especially in the West, that's it's a value for us. We want to take, I want to take care of myself. I don't want to be dependent on other people. Well, when we do that, we're not ultimately trusting in Christ as the one who meets our need. Or we go to the other extreme and we, 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 we buy into the social welfare model and we think we, this is a pretty good deal. You mean I can get stuff I don't even have to work? I can just let people give me things like that plan. Um, but those are not trusting in Christ. Now, may a church generously bless us and support us? Absolutely. Right? But are we trusting in that church or are we trusting in Christ? Are we trusting in wealthy supporters? Are we trusting in Christ? Uh, we need to be people who know how to feed from Christ's table. And the money, the, the issue is much bigger than just physical needs. And I think one of the problems we have is that we too easily separate our life into the spiritual and the non-spiritual. And we know how to trust Jesus for stuff like forgiveness, for spiritual things, we have this idea that the rest of it's my own problem, not Jesus. But Jesus teaches here that he is the sustainer and source of everything, every need in your life, for fellowship, for community, for relationship, for companionship, for intimacy, for food, for material needs, for emotional needs, uh, for spiritual regeneration and forgiveness. Every need is to be met in Christ. That's what the gospel is about. And that's why the gospel is not just the door to salvation, but it's what sustains our life. 
Jesus wants to be the one who meets every need in our life. So do we know how to go to his table and eat and be supplied by his sustaining hand? We'll never be able to help others if we can't do that. Right? We will never be able to teach others how to trust Christ to meet their needs if we are not doing that in our own life. Uh, because we will, uh, if, we're, if we're not doing it, when we go to help people, we will follow one of the models we're living out in our own life. Either the sustainability self-help model or the uh, social welfare model. So we need to model this first by how we walk in relationship with Christ. Secondly, we do need to care for the needy. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, you feed them. When people come to you with needs, Jesus says to you, you feed them. You help them. You minister to them. You become the channel through which my resources and my supply comes. Now, this is scary, right? Because the reality is, and in, in, in my world, I'm sure in your world here in Thailand, the needs are overwhelming. And, and when I see stuff like this, I want to just freak out and say, ah, I can't, right? I can't. The needs are too great. And I don't have the resources. I have five measly loaves of bread and two fish. Right? I don't have the resources. Well, if I did part number one real well, I'm not going to be worried about that because I know that Jesus is the supply. Right? That's why it's so important that we take care of that first and we walk in that. Because we will never have the faith to help others if we're panicked all the time about our own needs. So we need to see God sustaining us and see his faithful provision in our life because we trust him. And we know he's provider. Um, another reason we may panic when at this call to care for the needy is because we have been too much of a rescuer, right? And we, we've just burned ourselves out because we've tried to be the solution to people's problems. Okay? Jesus is not saying to them, you be the solution. He's saying you be the delivery boy. Okay? Being a delivery boy is a lot easier, right? And that's all he's asking of you. He's just saying, just be the channel. Okay? I've, got the, I've got the goods. I've got the bread. I just need somebody to carry it to them. You can do that. Right? It's not that hard. Okay? So what does that look like in real life? Well, it looks like this. Um, ultimately, what we are serving up is Jesus himself. Right? The answer is not, and the solutions are not man-centered. What we're not trying to do is help people solve their own problems. What we're not trying to do is build some kind of social systems to meet their needs. What we're ultimately trying to do is help people trust Jesus to be the provider for their life. So what this looks like is we're trying to bring, pe bring to people Christ himself. Uh, the early church, uh, from, from very early on, saw in this story a reference to the Lord's Supper. And the reason for that is when Jesus takes the bread, he does what? He looks up to heaven, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to the disciples. Exact words that are used later in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and I think there's some legitimacy to that claim because what Jesus is ultimately teaching here is that he is the bread. He's not just the supply of the bread, but he's actually the bread itself. 
So when he says you feed them, what he's ultimately saying is you need to know how to bring Christ into people's lives so that he can be the solution to their problems, not you. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like, uh, and we don't have time to go into what it all looks like, uh, but you need, you need to be asking the question, what does that need to look like in my life? How do we help people in a way that brings Christ as the solution to their problems? And I believe at one step, we do need to meet people's needs. Jesus, throughout Scripture, old and new, it's clear that we are to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow. We are to feed the hungry. We are to give clothes to those without. We are to provide shelter for those who have none. At some level, we are to give tangible, physical, real help to people to meet real needs. And it, doesn't, it depends on what your ministry is. If you're a counselor, it means giving good counsel. If you're a teacher, it means giving the bread of, uh, of life, the word of God. If you're in social ministries, it means helping those who are uh, struggling. But ultimately, it means that the, the answer they really need is Jesus. And we need to teach them to trust in him. Right? Uh, one recent example out of my own life, and I don't know if this actually applies well or not, but it's a good story anyway. Um, with, with, our, with the foundation, the Family Connection Foundation, that's an outreach arm of CCF, uh, one of the things we do is we help keep kids in school by providing funding for their education. Um, well, within the last couple months, that fund has gone seriously in the red. And um, it's like 110,000 baht in the hole. Uh, which is not good news. And the, the worst news is that, you know, it's the end of the school year, so in about a month, all the kids go back to school, and we have to come up with thousands of dollars to pay for the new school year. And um, so what do you do, right? Well, I go into panic mode, <laughs> and uh, which the good thing about panic mode is usually the panic mode can be a great incentive for prayer, which is what it should do, right? Um, and... I wrestled with, you know, should I send out prayer letters? Should I call donors? Should I try to get a grant, right? But I felt, no, God is the supply. God will provide for this. I just need to pray, and I need to pray. Well, I won't go into the whole story, but some random lady who I have met a couple times in the past, out of the blue, uh, became aware of our Education Matters Education Matters Project actually wanted to put some kids in the project. I said, yeah, sure, no problem. We can do that. Um, through that process, she's in the last couple of months given $4,000 and committed to give $500 a month, right? which pretty much means about 80% of our budget shortfall for that, that need. Right? So I pray God provided. Right? He provided. But the second thing we did is this. We talked to all the kids, and of course, the second graders, we just pay for their schooling, right? The kids get older, high school, college, gets a little more complicated. And we said to all the high school kids, look, we can't just pay for all your schooling anymore. And part of it was because we didn't have the money, but part of it was because we realized we were making a mistake by just paying for everything and not putting some of the burden on them because we weren't teaching them to trust Jesus, right? We were following just the social welfare model. And we weren't really bringing Christ to them. We said, we can't pay for your schooling. You're going to have to take more responsibility. You better start praying, and you better start seeking Jesus, because only Jesus can help you. Right? And we're still going to help them, 
But we're going to change how that help comes because we want to give it in a way that uh, doesn't rob them of the opportunity to seek and trust Christ as their provider. Right? And uh, one of the kids, um, in addition to needing money for college, wants to go on a missions trip over the school break with Crusade, wherever Mike went with the Crusade stint, right? And uh, they didn't even ask us for money, right? Because they had to raise support. And they could have come to us and said, you know, can you support us? And I would have. They didn't even ask. They went out and they just prayed and they sought God to provide their need, right? So we're helping them learn to trust Jesus because he's the one that's the solution. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.